scripture reading this morning before Jacob's lesson will be coming from Matthew chapter 11. That'll be Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You may be seated. Good morning, and grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so good to see you this morning. I want to say happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there. We're so thankful for you and for your presence here with us this morning. I, I hope that um, you uh, have a good Father's Day and you, um, for once, the one time of the year, you actually get to pick where your family goes to eat and maybe get some new socks and some other things. But it is uh, good to uh, be together and to worship together for a couple of reasons. Uh, not only is it Father's Day, it's a special Sunday for us. Uh, Jessica's sister is here with us, Jamie. And this is her first time to be able to uh, worship with us. Her and our nephew, little Teddy, is here with us. We call him little. He's not that little. But uh, he is uh, our, our nephew. We're happy to have them here. And uh, Jamie's Husband Avery preaches for the church in Arnold, Missouri, outside of St. Louis, and we're thankful. You know, it's very rare when you have a lot of preachers in the family, which we do, um, to be able to worship together on a Sunday, and uh, we, we enjoy those times when we are able to do that. So make sure to get to know them afterwards, and, and I'm sure that they would like to meet you as well. Also wanted to let you know that um, over the next couple of weeks, and I mentioned this on our Facebook group, uh, Don and Janie Prather are beginning their transition to come and work with us. Don will be our new involvement minister here, and he will have a variety of duties that he will be participating in and helping us with moving forward. Uh, many of you know Don and Janie. Don actually preached here in the past. Uh, ironically, when he was preaching here, uh, he served under Jessica's grandfather. Uh, Jessica's grandfather was an elder then, and so it's almost as if things are coming full circle a very odd uh, thing, but we're very excited about him coming. They will be here. Their first Sunday will be July 4th, actually. So please keep them in your prayers as they make that transition from where they are to here with us in Dripping Springs and make sure to welcome them with open arms. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he came into conflict with the religious leaders of his day uh, known as the Pharisees and, to a lesser degree, the Sadducees. And, and he came into conflict with them for a variety of reasons throughout the course of his ministry. But most would agree that the central reason that Jesus came into conflict with the Pharisees was due to how he treated the Sabbath and how he viewed the Sabbath. Now, many of you know that the Sabbath day within Israelite worship, Saturday was a holy day, a sacred day, in which no work was to be done. But when Jesus came onto the scene, he handled it a little bit differently. For example, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, as his disciples are going to the grain fields, they simply pick some grain, rub it between their hands, and they're eating some. The Pharisees see this and they say, listen, they're working. They're not supposed to be working. And Jesus goes on to talk to them and to teach them 
about how they were actually condemning the guiltless and how they misunderstood the point and the purpose of the Sabbath. And he goes on to make a statement at the end of that in verse 8 where he says, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now that's an incredible statement to make about the deity and the person of Jesus Christ. That he transcends the Sabbath, that he is the ruler of the Sabbath. Then in verses 10 through 14 of that same chapter in Matthew chapter 12, a man comes to him with a withered, crippled hand. And Jesus asks them, can I heal a man on the Sabbath? And if not, if one of you had a donkey and he fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you go and get it out of that pit? And he heals the man. And afterwards, at the end of that interaction, it says the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him how to destroy him. So it seems as if the contempt from the Pharisees began and centralized on Jesus' dismissal from their point of view of the Sabbath or his disregard for the Sabbath. Now on one hand, when you initially read it, the Pharisees seem to have a point. In Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11, we see that the fourth commandment there within the Ten Commandments was to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And it even goes on within that section to explain that the reason that they were to keep it holy was because that was the day that God rested from his activity and so too his people should rest from their activity. It's really the one commandment that gives this extensive explanation. So it was very sacred to the Jews. And if broken, the consequences for not keeping the Sabbath were pretty serious. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 32 through 36, a man is stoned to death because he was picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Now, you might be thinking, really, picking up sticks? But, but it was more than that. He was laboring. He was gathering sticks to build a house or something of that nature. And he violated the Sabbath. He was actually stoned. So there are serious consequences to it. On the other hand, on the, on the same token, rather, as, as a nation, one of the reasons that the Israelites were disciplined by Babylon and by Assyria was because they failed to honor the Sabbath. You can see that in Jeremiah 17 verses 19 through 23. And so it seems if you understand that background that the Pharisees have a valid point. Listen, the commandments handle the Sabbath seriously. There's serious consequences to not keeping the Sabbath. And if we don't keep it as a nation, we're going to be disciplined by the Lord. And so for Jesus to dismiss that was a serious violation. But the question is, is that what he is doing? Is he dismissing the Sabbath? Now, interestingly enough, when you come to the New Testament, the New Testament writers, who the vast majority of them are Jewish men, don't really have anything to say about the Sabbath. They don't really mention it. Now, it's even more interesting because they will mention the other Ten Commandments. They'll even list them. In Romans 13, verse 9, for example, it talks about the commandments that are expected to be kept and not murdering, and how and how all that's fulfilled within loving your neighbor. And so they'll, they'll list these other commandments, but they won't list the Sabbath, which is very interesting. In fact, they will even condemn those who judge others for not keeping the Sabbath in Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 16. So how do you make sense of all of this? Are we to celebrate the Sabbath as Christians? Are we violating God's will by not practicing the Sabbath? That's a serious question. As was previously viewed by, that's a serious question that we need to be asking. Uh, Is Sunday the new Sabbath? 
These are questions that we probably don't think about much anymore, but there's something, if, you are, if you're familiar with Scripture, we should think about. Because it is odd, and it should be odd to you, that there was this day that was treated in this way so sacredly, and then you come to the New Testament, and Jesus treats it very differently, and the New Testament writers hardly say anything about it. But I think that we find the solution to our problem and something that Jesus stated in our study of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Because in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus says there, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, we previously talked a little bit about what that concept of fulfillment meant, and that sermon's on the website, and you can go and listen to that if you desire. But essentially, the concept of fulfillment was that the law and everything in it was pointing towards something greater. It was pointing towards something better. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, right after saying, listen, you can't judge other people for not keeping the Sabbath and condemn them for not keeping the Sabbath... Right after he says that in Colossians 2 and verse 17, Paul says these were a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That is, these were training wheels. These were pointing towards something greater. They were pointing towards something better. He said all the Sabbath was and all these things that we see there, they were a sign to direct us to something far greater. And so the idea is, is that if you simply stop short and simply stop at the Sabbath and keeping it as the Jews did, he said that's like, that's like stopping at the sign that's pointing you towards the Grand Canyon and having your vacation at the sign rather than going to actually see the Grand Canyon. The law is something that was pointing towards something greater. The Sabbath itself was a sign to something far greater or we might say to someone far greater. Because the Sabbath, in fact, was pointing to Jesus. To the person of Christ. Interestingly enough, prior to the altercations or, or, the, or the disagreements that Jesus had with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. Right before that, right before he has these disagreements with them about the Sabbath we read Matthew 11 and verses 28 through 30, which is what Alec just read. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. I will give you Sabbath. Come to me, and I will give you Sabbath. And then right after that, he's getting into disagreements with the Pharisees about what Sabbath actually is and what the point of it. And then he makes that statement, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one whose Sabbath was pointing towards. And so what we see is that Jesus is the new Sabbath. That within Jesus, we see what the Sabbath was pointing towards. When we are saved by Jesus, when we commune with Jesus, when we fellowship and follow him, we are granted genuine rest. And we're not talking simply about rest in heaven, like, you know, you have to labor and toil. There's no genuine rest now. No, the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 4 and verse 3 that when we have believed, we enter into that rest. 
Through our faith, we are already beginning to participate within the Sabbath rest of God that is witnessed within Jesus Christ. And so what we see within the new covenant is that participating and celebrating Sabbath is not about a specific day, but it is about a new lifestyle. One in which we experience the rest and the healing of God within the regular rhythms of our daily life. But here's the question, if that's the case, what does that look like? Because it was easy when you had a specific day where you didn't do anything on it. That was easy. But if I don't have a day where I don't necessarily don't do anything, what does that look like? And I think all of this is working towards our, our introduction for our lesson this morning, which is we discover how we live out this new Sabbath life within Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, as we continue our study through Matthew in verses 25 through 34. Now, while the, the, the word Sabbath isn't specifically mentioned here, we see simil- we're going to see similar language to that and how Jesus is teaching. Listen, this is really how you live out this rest. This is really how you live out and what this means to live out this new Sabbath rest within me. So let's read Matthew chapter 6 and let's start in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, while you eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What exactly is Jesus saying here about what it means to live out the Sabbath rest within him? As we come to him for rest, what does that look like? Well, number one, we need to understand that all of this, all of this is about learning to participate in life as God intended. We're learning how to participate in life as God intended. Now, within the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a a weekly reminder about a couple of things. Number one, it reminded the Jews that time and creation belong to God. As we saw in Exodus chapter 20, it was a reminder of God's creation week. If you look there in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it talks about how you're to rest on the Sabbath because God worked six days on the seventh day. He rested. And so Sabbath was a a moment for God's people to pause and to reflect and to worship and to delight in God's creation. 
And God knew that humanity, unless they were forced to do that within this infant stage, if you will, within creation, he said, if, if I don't force them to do this, they're not going to live out the life that I intended for them. And so he makes this requirement for his people. It was a reminder to them that the world wasn't sustained by frantic busyness, but by the sovereign and sustaining hand of God. And so it reminded the people of Israel that time was sacred and that all of their labor and all of their life was in relationship to God and to his world. That life was more than labor. And that's the second thing it reminded them of. Not only that time belonged to God, but life was more than labor. As we looked at there in Exodus 20, the Sabbath was viewed for, the God, for God's people as they were participating in God's rest. Just as God had rested, they were now sharing in that rest. And the point was, listen, if God can rest from his labor, then you too can rest from yours. But it was a reminder to them that life was more than just busyness. That life was more than just the material. That life was more than labor. Because if God, who is the source of all life, rested, what he is teaching us is that enjoying life and sharing in genuine life also has the rhythm of rest within it and enjoyment. Because that's what we see God doing. He rests from his labors and he delights within his creation. Remember what he says? This is very good. So he labors, but then he rests to delight in that labor. Now, with all of those concepts in mind, I'm trying to get you in the mindset of how the Jews would have heard Jesus teaching this in Matthew chapter 6. Because when we come to Jesus, he says something very similar to this. He says in verse 25, life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. What is life, human life, what is it really about? What is it about? What's the point of life? Why did God create life in the first place? John declared that in John 1 and verse 4 that in Jesus was life and that life was the light of men. Jesus showed us what God expects of us and really what we can, how we are to live as humans. And so what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 24, or 25 rather, is that life is more, notice more, than just getting up, eating breakfast, going to work, taking a lunch break, going back to work, eating dinner, going to bed, and then repeat. He says, life is more than that. Now, it's certainly not less than that. If you don't eat, if you don't drink, you're going to have some issues. If you don't wear clothes, you're going to have bigger issues. So life isn't less than that, but it is certainly more than that. Jesus says, there's more to your life. There are greater things worth pursuing. Now, that's not to say that work is bad, because work is not bad. In fact, work was a part of initial creation. In Genesis 2 and verse 15, God placed Adam in the garden to tend and to keep it. So, so work was good, but here's the difference. 
in the garden, there was a purpose to his work. Adam was not just working for the sake of work. There was a purpose to it. He was spreading God's reign. As an image bearer, he was spreading God's goodness and God's kingdom throughout creation as he was told to do along with his wife Eve in Genesis 1 and verse 26 and 27 to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And that played a part. That is connected to him tending and keeping the garden. And so he had a purpose to his work. And then number two, he had perimeters around his work. The work was never the central goal. He was not working just for the sake of work. Instead, he was also enjoying and walking with God and using his work to magnify God, which is what the Sabbath reminded them of, which, by the way, is tied to creation itself. It's within Genesis that we discover the Sabbath, not Exodus. But in today's world, work often has neither. Work is often toil, which is a consequence of the fall, by the way. He was told to tend and to keep the garden, and then after the fall, he says, in the sweat of your brow, you're going to toil. There's going to be thorns and briars and things of that nature. But in today's world, work and labor often have neither. They, they neither have a purpose or perimeters. And therefore, life becomes this twisted and pointless pursuit of simply labor for the sake of labor and labor for the sake of money for my own consumption. And we often refer to this as a hamster wheel because it's nonstop. But within Jesus, within the new Sabbath, we witness the reclaiming of life as God intended for it to be. We see the beauty of living generously of living freely, of recognizing that life does not consist in the abundance of stuff, Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. We see the importance of using the time that God has given us for healing and helping those around us, as Jesus did on the Sabbath with the man with the withered hand. Is Jesus technically doing something on the Sabbath when he heals the man with the withered hand? Yes, he's technically doing something, but what is he doing when he heals the man with the withered hand? He gives him rest. The whole point of the Sabbath. And so we see within Jesus that the Sabbath was pointing towards Jesus. And the Sabbath was all about teaching us as humans to live life the way that God intended for it to be. And we see that within Jesus Christ, who lived his life not in the constant hectic busyness and frantic busyness of life, but he lived his life within the rhythm of God's rest, trusting in his sovereign provision and living life out joyfully. And all of this helps to guard our hearts against false gods. It, it helps to, number two, guard our hearts against false gods. Now, what do I mean by that? Remember last week we discussed how Jesus previously said, you cannot serve God in mammon, or you cannot serve God in money. I think the ESV says money. I actually prefer mammon because mammon is kind of a word to, to use to describe money personified. Money as a god. What happens when money becomes our god? It becomes mammon. And Jesus says you can't serve both god and mammon. You can only serve one master. And again, for the Jews, the Sabbath was a reminder of who their true god was. That God was sovereign over their calendar 
and not the almighty dollar. And it was a reminder to them. And it was reminded of them this in a couple of ways. Number one, it reminded them of this by forcing them, and at times it was forced because many times later they violated it, by forcing them to allow their servants to rest on Sabbath. If you go back to Exodus 20 and verse 10, the law was not simply, hey, you get to rest and your servants get to do all the, the work. No, no, no. The law was, you're going to rest, your servant's going to rest, even your donkey's going to rest. Everybody's going to have a break. And so the Sabbath reminded them that who was really in charge here? Who was really sovereign? Who was really the master? God was. And then it also reminded them of who their master was and who God was by the release of debt within, which, within the celebration known as Jubilee. And you can read about Jubilee in Leviticus chapter 25, but Jubilee was the culmination of seven Sabbath years. Now, a Sabbath year, keep up with me here, the Sabbath year was every seventh year. And in a Sabbath year, the Jews were not allowed to till or to toil. They were just so, supposed to live off the produce of the land. And, and so they were to rest, to let the land rest every seventh year. But every seven seventh year, every 50th year, after that next year would be sanctified, that 50th year was called the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, on a specific day in a specific month, the people were to... To, to blow the trumpets throughout the land, and they were to proclaim liberty throughout all the land. And you know what happened in that year? If you were in debt, you were released from that debt. And if you were a, a servant to a fellow Jew, you were released from that servitude. And if you had to sell your land because you were in debt, you know what happened in that 50th year? You got your land back. And so it was this great, it's called a, essentially a high Sabbath, in which everyone was given rest from debt and from servitude. And this was a reminder to the people of Israel that even if someone was in debt to you, that you were not their master, and even if you were in debt, that that person that you were in debt to was not your master. God was your master who settles all accounts. And so he guarded their hearts from the God of mammon in this way. Now, when we come to Jesus, in his teaching, he tells us in Matthew chapter 6 that one of the chief ways that we know whether or not our hearts are being ruled by a different God, we can tell that by what we stress about, what we worry about, what, we are up, what keeps us up at night. And he said, you're worrying about the wrong stuff. You're constantly worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what kind of clothes you're going to wear, whether or not that's going to make people look down on you. Or think of you differently because you're wearing the latest fashion or you're wearing nice clothes. And he says, and listen, this is a hard message for us. Because the reason Jesus says that we worry about things like this is because we don't have enough faith. Now that's not Jesus. I mean, that's not me. That's Jesus. Matthew, verse 30, Matthew 6 and verse 30. Oh, you of little faith. Now I'm putting Jacob in that circle too. That's not Jacob saying I'm above that because I do. And he says the reason we struggle with that is because we forget who our real master is. That he provides for his own. He says the birds and the flowers are taken care of. Don't you realize God's going to take care of you? 
we have some little mud martins who have made a nest uh, in our, uh, on our porch. I'm sure that some of you have had that same thing happening. And, uh, you know, they leave us little surprises every morning on the porch. But it's been really neat. Every year we get them there and uh, we watch them. I let them build their nest there and the kids like watching them. But, you know, I've never seen that bird worry about anything. He goes and he gets his food and he feeds his young and he rests in the nest. And there was a day when I was just watching this bird. And I thought to myself, you know, he's not worried about his bank account at all. Uh, He's not worried about his mortgage. He's not even worried about tomorrow. He just, he's focused on the day. And that's the illustration that Jesus uses here. He says, don't you realize that you're worth your weight in birds? Don't you realize that if God, if God values the sparrow, he values you? And so he wants you to enjoy that same freedom as his follower. He wants you to have the freedom that God ex- expects you to experience within the new Sabbath. To live, not, not simply for just to be a slave to, to, to money and to mammon and to the material things, but to live freely before God. And to guard your hearts against the false god of mammon. And that's how we live within. That's the intention of the Sabbath rest that we find within Jesus Christ. As we follow him and listen to him and learn to live with him. But experiencing the rest and the freedom within Jesus is not just about inaction. It's not just about saying, well, I'm following Jesus. I don't have to do any work anymore. I don't have to do anything. No, rather it is we are liberated. We are freed from being slaves to the anxiety of the God of mammon so that we can participate in God's grand adventure. So that we can participate in God's grand adventure. Jesus says that if we come to rest in him, if we come to him for rest, and we find the new Sabbath rest of God within him, and we find the peace that he offers, he said you're truly going to be liberated, in the language that he uses in verse 33, to seek first. The kingdom of God. And those other things will be taken care of. And this is really where we get to the heart of the Sabbath concept. Because Jesus isn't denying the need for food and water and for clothing. Notice he says you seek first the kingdom of God and those things will take care of themselves. He's not denying the necessity or the importance of those things. But he's saying again there's something greater. Now generally speaking we use this verse. It was used... Um, often when I was growing up, to encourage people to prioritize worship. It was mainly focused on, listen, you need to seek first the kingdom of God, therefore you need to be at worship as often as you can be. I completely agree with that. I think that if we're truly seeking first the kingdom of God, we're going to be communing and participating with his people as often as we can be. Completely agree. But I think there's much more to it than that. Because whenever whenever Jesus says you are to seek Think about that word seek for a moment. It's far more than just coming somewhere on Sunday for an hour or two. But rather it speaks of discovery, being inquisitive, activity. And even the word that I like to see there is adventure. You are to seek the reign of God. You are to seek the kingdom of God. And whenever scripture speaks of seeking God or seeking the kingdom of God, it means that we seek out his reign 
and we seek him personally. In Psalm 27 and verse 8, the psalmist says, You have said to me, seek your face, Lord. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. And so this is about a lifestyle, a, a life in which the grand pursuit of humanity is to seek and commune and share in fellowship with God himself. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom. And this is the key and purpose and the meaning to life. The meaning to labor. That we are seeking the face of God in all that we do. That we are seeking the glory of God in all that we do. That we are image bearers who, yes, participate in labor and in work. But we do it as partners with God. We are seeking to show God's beauty and God's goodness and God's love in everything that we do, realizing that He is our master and not we are not slaves to stuff. And so this was, this was the reminder of the Sabbath to Israelites, and it's how we are expected to live within Jesus Christ. We are to be turning over rocks in our daily life to find God's presence and person, to commune with Him, to live within the fullness of His love, and to show that to others. This isn't just about church work. This is about all work. This means that no matter what you do, no matter what work you're doing, you seek to show God's character in all of your labor through excellence and imagination and creativity and beauty and character. You do all to the glory of God. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And as you participate, my, my job, as monotonous as it can be, can be an avenue to show God's goodness and God's love. And that I am participating in God's adventure even at my desk job. Because as I am working in that desk job and I'm refusing to allow it because of the peace and the rest that I found in Jesus Christ, it's not my master and I'm using my job now as a means to extend God's kingdom and his reign. And to heal and to help those around me. This is what living within the new Sabbath really means. But what does it look like practically? What does that look like practically when I'm, when I'm liberated and freed to participate in God's grand adventure. In which I'm guarding my heart against the God of mammon and living life as God intended. What are some practical ways because we are essentially within Jesus Christ, as we come to know him more, we are living within a perpetual Sabbath. We're learning to trust in him more every day and come to find his rest. Learning to delight in God's creation and reign on a daily basis. But that doesn't mean there aren't practical things. So what are some practical things? Number one, we should set boundaries around our busyness. We should set boundaries around our busyness. And I think it's... I didn't intend for this necessarily to be a Father's Day sermon, but I think it's pretty appropriate. Studies have shown, generally speaking, of course this isn't in all cases, but studies have shown that men tend to take their meaning and their worth out of their jobs, whereas women generally take their meaning and their worth out of family and relationships. And that's shown in the fact that men generally work longer hours and they get consumed by that. And so the message of the new Sabbath is, is that within Jesus Christ, if we're going to live this out, then we have to learn to set boundaries around our busyness. We have to learn how to say no to filler activities. And what I mean by that is sometimes 
There are activities that we do to fill our schedule just because we don't feel like we're doing anything if we're not busy. And the message of, of Jesus is that life is more than busyness. So sometimes you have to say no. Sometimes you have to place boundaries around that. It's okay, it's okay to have quiet, restful moments. In fact, it's demanded of us. And we have to be mindful of that. And this, by the way, although... Well, we'll go to the second one now before I get into that. Number two, the way that we pray, play this out practically is we find ways to help and to heal others, especially on Sunday. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't believe there is an exact parallel between the Sabbath of the Old Covenant and Sunday within the New Covenant. And the reason that there aren't exact parallels is because you don't see the same limitations on activity when it comes to Sunday. But... Even when John is writing in Revelation 1 and verse 10, he already refers to Sunday as the Lord's Day. And so thus, what we should do, if this is the Lord's Day, if this is his day, the day that he began the new creation work within Jesus Christ, within his resurrection, then we should find day, ways, if any other day, on this day to help and to heal others. Because that's exactly what we see within our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not an excuse to, you know, work on Sunday, you know, just to say, well, you know, uh, I don't have those restrictions, so I can do whatever I want. No, this is about living the lifestyle that God has intended for us to live as his people. And coming together to worship on Sunday is a reminder of the finished work of Christ that we'll close out with in just a moment. That God has completed the work of Christ, and therefore we now can enter into his rest by faith as we look towards the ultimate rest that we will experience at his return. And so Jesus showed us that the real meaning of Sabbath is when he healed the man with the withered hand on Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't about laziness, it was about extending God's presence and aid to the world around us. And so when we ease the burden of others, when we ease the burden of grief by words of love, when we ease the burden of loneliness by friendship, the burden of sickness by providing meals, the burden of despair by encouragement and proactive love, when we do those things, and even especially more so on Sunday, we share in the new Sabbath of following Jesus. And the number three, how we practically implement the new Sabbath within Christ, is that we guard ourselves from becoming oppressively in debt. Now, this is an unpopular message in American culture. But as we notice in the Old Covenant, the ultimate high Sabbath, Jubilee, was about releasing ourselves or releasing the people of God from debt. And the reason was, again, is because it guarded them against believing that the true God was money. And life was all about stuff. And yet, if we are going to live within the new Sabbath and treasure Jesus above all else... We should guard ourselves against oppressive debt for the same reason. Because when we become indebted to another, where does our anxieties lie? It lies within repaying that debt. And this is why Paul says in Romans 13 and verse 8, Owe no man anything. Now in the past, in previous generations of the church, debt was something that was constantly preached against. But now that our culture has become used to it, we've stopped preaching against it. And we're all in debt, financial debt. Many of us, most of us are in financial debt. 
But we should work to get out of that debt, and we should definitely guard against oppressive debt. Because when we constantly live beyond our limitations, we lose our ability to live as God intended. When we constantly live beyond our limitations, we lose our ability to live as God intended. Now, as we close, when Jesus is hanging upon the cross in John 19 and verse 30, he says three words at the end. It is finished. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? At least it should. Because it's the same language that is used of God at the end of the first creation. In Genesis 2 and verse 2, when God had finished his work, he rested. I can't help but think that that language is intentional by John. Because within Jesus, God finished and completed all that was needed to redeem this fallen world. He has taken within himself the brokenness and the sin and placed it on the shoulders of his son. And on Sunday, the first day of the week, he begins a new creation within his resurrection, which will be completed and culminated within his return, in which we will enjoy the eternal and perpetual Sabbath and the rest with God and our Father. And in so many ways, that, that eternal Sabbath echoes backwards to us as his people and God says, I want you to begin participating in this new life now. I want you to begin sharing in this new Sabbath now. So are you tired? Are you weary? Are you run down by life and are you burnt out with living? If so, come to Jesus. Rest within him. Trust in him. Pursue him and his reign and his presence above all else. And you will find rest. You will find true Sabbath for your soul. I stumbled upon a song, a hymn, the other day. And I want to close with it. It's titled, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say. It's an old hymn written about 1860 or so. As I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. And I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and live. And I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now... I live in him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark and world's light. I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all thy day be bright. I looked to Jesus, I found in him, my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk, till traveling days are done. Praise be to Jesus for the Sabbath rest we receive within him. If you have any need, why don't you come as together we stand and as we sing.